This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back to Max Out, everybody. I'm so fired up about today because, to be honest with you, you know, usually there's people that want to get on the show, and it's great to have them on, and then there's people that I want on the show, and then I try to find people who know people who know people to get to them. And I wanted this woman on because I think she's probably the funniest person on the planet, but also her backstory is so interesting and the way she communicates the things she talks about, I just think are fascinating. And I know y'all are going to get a lot of entertainment, but also a lot of value out of today's show. I first saw you by the way, back in like five, I think it was four or five years ago. That's you had a special called perfect. That's where I first saw you. <laughs> Most of you, you probably knew her then, but she's got this special on Netflix called banging, which is just blown up. Her entire career's blown up. She's really, this is someone who's kind of her dreams are coming true, like right before all of us the last year or two. So we got a lot to talk about. So Nikki Glazer, welcome to Max Out. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so honored that you did reach out to me because although I wasn't familiar with you prior to that, once I got researching, I was like, this guy is doing everything that is up my alley. I've already, just in preparing to be on your show, I've listened to a couple podcasts. And as I was telling you, I already feel the winds of change from some of the info you've exposed me to. It's, um, it's, it's, so it's, it's awesome to be here. And like, I don't know what kind of anything I have to impart, but, um, I sure have lots to talk about with you. I know. What what do you need to change? Oh, I mean, first of all, I need to, uh, first I need to get a brain scan to figure out my brain health. I want to get one of those. I, I know. Yeah. I, what I need to change is, I need to look at, I mean, smoking pot has got to go. It just, your doctor th- that you had on, I was, I've been struggling with that in quarantine already of like, oh, I'm just leaning on this a little too much. I, I have began, begun to say it is treating my depression, like convincing myself a lot of the, of a lot of these things that it's really not doing. And I always reach a point with things like this. I've quit drinking before. I've, um, I've tackled an eating disorder. I'm able to, I've quit smoking cigarettes. I'm going to now have to quit doing this. And it's just a bummer to add one to the list when it was one you could think you thought you could get away with that, that and caffeine. Caffeine is also on my list. Well, that was my killer. I'm surprised to hear you say that. Cause that was one of the things I was going to ask you later was that you had stopped drinking and then you moved to smoking weed, which a lot of people do. And it's not, yes. you know, and I've, a lot of friends of mine think it's healthier and, you know, they don't get hangovers. They don't have calories and I'm not selling that to everybody. You all know that I've never smoked weed. I don't, it's not something I believe in. I don't think it's good for your brain health, but I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that, but let's go back for a second because we're sure. going to touch all those. How are you doing? Cause you know, we're everyone that's watching this now during COVID during the pandemic, some of you will see it a year from now when we hopefully aren't in that situation, but like, You've got you've had this blowing up career. I mean, everybody. The when someone becomes a star like she is, and she's being humble, but I mean, goes from you know probably struggling financially to seven figures in income. Everybody knows you. You're on the Netflix specials, podcasts, TV shows, deals happening all the time, and then bam, it stops. Yeah, you're living at home. This you're at your parents' house right now. Right? I'm living. I'm. It's so wild, and I am living in my childhood home where I've lived, we moved when I was in sixth grade. My parents still live here in the uh, St. Louis County. I just, there was something about um, the comfort of being home and I I don't have a partner. I don't, uh, I have an apartment in New York, but I wasn't even moved into it. It was like, I was still decorating it. So I just was like, oh, I'll just come to St. Louis in the meantime Mm -hmm. and hang out. And I've been here now 
for over two months and I love it. Really? <laughs> I'm gonna have to quit this house too. I really like being a teenager again. It's very safe here. There's a, a, a deep fear as you were even saying, like, you know, people might be watching this in the future when we're out of this. I'm like, no, like as much as I want to be out of this and get back to my normal life, which I was killing it. Like yeah. I had a, a, a theater tour for the first time in my life. I was selling out theaters. It was the first time in my life I ever even worked theaters and people were going to see me at them. I've been doing the comedy club circuit for so many years. Yeah. Things were just starting to like line up. I had two different TV shows in development. Um, one only one remains of those uh, three and only one remains i've lost a lot of stuff but i'm really loving the the yeah. safety of being back home and not having anything expected of me not feeling in competition with everyone else oh no one can do stand-up if i was just taking time off stand-up two months off stand-up is unthinkable to me i didn't yeah. take two nights off of stand-up for the past 15 years so two months would be torture would it not be for the fact that everyone else has to take it off too Wow. So I'm enjoying this period of like, oh, everyone else is getting bad at stand up too. And kind of <laughs> I doubt you get work. bad at it, but were but this is really interesting because were, were you happy when all the good stuff was happening? No. Like whoa. I, I gotta be honest with you, I was pretty I was just exhausted. I took on too much. I always take on too much. I'm already taking on too much right now being at home. I'm so worried not being able to work. And, and having to be alone with myself for two minutes, uh, you know, as awful as that would be. I mean, I'm running from something that I just fill with work. And when you've worked so hard to get to a place where people are finally wanting to work with you, it doesn't even click in that I'm in demand. I still feel like there are people wanting to work with me as some just like kind gesture. So I'm saying yes to everything. And yeah. I I just took on too much. And I was... I didn't know how I was going to make it to this. Like when I was thinking about entering into like the summer months with my schedule, with my tour, with two shows, I would have a show on TV right now at, at E. Um, I would, I'm developing a scripted show, a radio show, uh, the tour where I'm on tour every weekend in two different cities and have to fly back home on Monday to be on my radio show. I mean, it was like, I just got so depressed thinking about it and I was exhausted by even the thought of it. And I was pretty miserable and my friends were like, I mean, I've hit these points in my career before where I just collapse and then I get on some sort of antidepressant that helps me get through it. And then I yeah. do it to myself again. Yeah. I was begging for something to happen to make it all go away. And I didn't know what that looked like, but it looked like a global pandemic. <laughs> it really was like, I felt like I was begging for this in some way. And I felt, I feel bad that I don't, that I'm almost scared for it to return to normal. So. I'm, I'm enjoying the challenge though of reinventing myself because I'd really never thought that stand-up would be something that would go away for stand-ups. It's always something you, you can, ne they'll never take that away from you. You know, once you're good at stand-up, you can always sell tickets. And, and if I, you have the TV credits, even if you're not on TV, you still have a place to work and now we don't. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of scary all over again. And, um, I'm in, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, one of the things about the reason now you know why I wanted her on, you guys, in addition to being so talented, like she talks about real stuff and she's vulnerable. She's willing to be honest. So I just want to go, when I do the show, I kind of like surmise a lesson when someone gives one. You guys, one of the things when you when you have a big dream, I did the same thing, Nikki. I got to like my first big dream, my first, you know, whatever amount of money or big house or plane or whatever it was. And then I did the same thing. I started saying yes to everybody because I thought yes. it was a fluke. This is a fluke. And so I'm yeah. just gonna 
doing everything and I had all this anxiety and it guys, most people aren't going to tell you this. It wasn't what it was cracked up to be. It wasn't what I thought it would be like. Cause I'd see these other people that were successful. They seemed like they weren't worried they were going to lose it. They kind of always expected to be there. It was never going to go away. And for me, I was afraid it was always going to go away. It was a fluke. And so I just kept working all the time. And so lesson is not only do you have to have a big dream, you have to plan for what it should be like when you get there, like have structures around you, have an idea of what you really want it to look like. Cause it's, it, it can overwhelm you and it can be disappointing and it can be depressing. More of the famous people that I coach you guys are well-known people suffer from depression than you could possibly imagine. And it is because they got somewhere and thought, wow, when I get there, now I'll be happy. When I get that special, when I get that amount of money, when I walk in a restaurant and people know me, or I can pay off my parents' house or whatever the heck it is, then I'll be happy. They delay working on themselves because I think if they could just get to a different place, they'll have to avoid themselves. They can continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that, does that sound real to you? Oh, man. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head for me because I, I didn't realize when all my jobs went away that I thought were bringing me happiness, I, I really focused on all I had to make me happy was like my dogs and my relationships with my parents and my friends. And I was like, oh, this is kind of nurturing. Like the stuff that I was blocking out because I was too busy is actually like kind of, I don't need to go do an extra podcast this week to get the attention. Like I'm realizing that my, I mean, if we're going to get real, I yeah. just, I know that I have sacrificed intimacy in relationships and like, uh, because of my career. I've just, and my career has kept me from those things. Cause I'm totally scared of that. Like that's really what's going on here. And mm -hmm. I don't want to go through another one of these alone. Like I love that I was able to live with my parents right now. Mm -hmm. I'm about to be 36. I can't, the next pandemic we have or some kind of weird thing that happens that we're not planned for. I want, I, I, I feel like I want a relationship and that is what I am I'm feverishly working on myself right now and taking right. this time to do so much work on me that is behind the scenes that I don't get credit for, that I don't get to post on Twitter. And it's it's hard, but I know now that my career isn't gonna go get me groceries when I'm scared. <laughs> like, the, I, 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 I need someone. I need more than just myself. And uh, my career is just, it's not gonna cut it. It's It's great and I love it. But it's it's uh, it's I feel just like coffee, just like weed. Little bit of a, it's an addiction. Yeah, it so, could kill me. Okay, we're going. Well, we're not going to let that happen, and we're going somewhere that I wanted to go. So, you guys, the thing that makes you successful can also be the thing that can make you the most unhappy. And so, her great ambition and drive, and she's linked it. She's made more progress than she knows because she's already linked it to her wanting to avoid this intimacy and in relationships. That's a huge distinction. Those things are good. And the, the, the thing for you, Nikki, is when this is over, is finding a way to navigate that being your work ethic and drive and ambition being a strength and still weaving in the other things. In other words, you don't have to give up one to get the other. Human beings think all the time, I've got to give up this ambition or drive or these fears that move me in order to be happy. You don't. What you need to do is you need to add these other things. You don't have to lose your drive or ambition or, or anything like that. So let's talk about that for a minute. I want to talk about this book I saw that you're into, this get to I do deal. So it's oh, yeah. to me like it seems to me that that's like a running theme for you. It's like you'd like to find a relationship. And you have you ever had a deep relationship with a dude or with a man? Have you almost been married before? 
And why is it so important to you? It's important to me because it's in the past been something that's truly brought me a lot of like genuine happiness and fulfillment. And I really do like, like sex. And I find that I don't get to have sex as a part of my life unless I'm in a committed relationship. It just doesn't, it doesn't work for me that way. So I feel like I can't do that thing that I really like to do unless I'm in a relationship. So there's, there's the motivation there. Um, and I, and I have had it before. I haven't had it a lot though. Like I've, I've had one really long-term relationship and we like created a show together and we lived together and all this stuff, but it never was, um, he was never wanting to get married. I was never wanting to get married. So we never took it seriously. And I, I, I'm still like terrified of actually really pursuing something and letting someone in that is available. It's, I don't know. The thing is, I don't know what is broken about me that avoids it so much, but it really is, is when someone becomes emotionally available, I get viscerally disgusted with them. Like it makes it so I can't even try to like, it's, it sucks. It's one of the worst things about me is that when a guy starts to like me, as soon as I get a guy to like me, I'm like, I'm not into this anymore. And it's not, I'm not trying to, I wish I always like hold my breath, like, please still be into him when he starts liking you. And a lot of times it doesn't happen that way. Okay. Well, like, like probably 60 million people and there's probably 3 million listening. This are all nodding their head. Like that's not that abnormal. It isn't. Like lots of people are that way. Lots of people are married, but not happy because they got the person and they, they like being chased. So there's, there's something to that. And so let's just, let's stay on that. So You've tried to fill this thing up a few times. So what I can tell, great parents, kind yeah. of a really good upbringing, unless there's something I don't know. Seems like I've watched your mom and dad interact with you. They both seem like beautiful people, great marriage. Your dad seems very funny. Your mom yep. seems kind of, you know, I, I, they seem like a great family. And then, but throughout your life, there's just been these trends that you've talked about. You had an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Talk about that for a little bit. You've avoided these relationships. You kind of, did you go a little too far with alcohol for a while? I did. I like, I, I, I didn't get into drinking until my like twenties. And when I started really doing comedy and it just became like just in abundance everywhere and was kind of part of the culture. But, um, my first, like, I, I mean, remember my first sip of alcohol in high school and like, and being the first time I felt drunk, I remember just saying to my friends, why don't we always, why don't we always like this? Why do why wouldn't you always want to feel this way? Like I had that addict, like yep. craving, initially. And I remember people kind of looking at me like, what is she talking about? But I just couldn't understand why you would ever not want to feel this amazing. (laughs) And, um, so I like note that. And then, you know, as soon that developed over the years, but my eating disorder came on like my senior year of high school, I didn't have boyfriends all of high school, middle school, no boyfriends, nothing. I had kissed boys here and there, but it was always like really just fleeting. And I was just scared of boys, just terrified of boys. And I don't, I just still don't know how to describe it. Like I couldn't picture myself, like my friends were making out and hooking up and I was just like, I just can't do that. I think I was either, a, a you know, I, I was, I was a late bloomer for sure. But like, this was too late. I was just, I was just so scared. And then the second a boy started liking me that I actually liked, I like was so nervous about it. I just didn't eat one day because I just like lost my appetite. Cause I was like nervous. I was going to hang out with this boy and maybe we were going to kiss. And, um, and then, then I just got a lot of, um, attention for the day I didn't eat. It just showed up on me right away. And people were like, you look skinny, you look great. And I was like, this feels great. 
And I always felt invisible. I always wanted to be an actress or like have some kind of special quality. And I just never really did. And I was really bummed about it and depressed about like, I'm never going to be Jennifer Aniston. Like that was my goal was like, I'm going to have a sitcom by the time I'm 25. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I just, I was like, oh, I'm actually not that good at acting. And I'm kind of overweight and like no one really thinks I never get the parts in the school plays. How am I going to go to Hollywood and do anything? So I was just like, what am I going to do? And then I got really good at starving myself and I got a lot of attention because I looked really good for like a minute. And then I looked really scary and then it was out of control and I was addicted to starving, like just the quickest descent into disease. And then by, I, I, I picked it up in March. I mean, I was a healthy lady in March and then by July, um, I was hospitalized and then, oh wow. um, and, and like against my will, I was just going to the hospital to do a, a physical to go to college that semester or that following fall. And, um, and they were like, we can't let you leave. You're going to die because you're, and I mean, was, I was so sick and like my parents were in complete denial of it. So they, they are great, but there were some, there were some issues in childhood that I don't blame them for. They did the best they could. They were super scared and didn't want to believe that their daughter was starving to death in front of them, even though I was. And it's something that if you're around it every day to give them credit, cause I did look freaking scary, but if you're around it every day, um, you yeah. don't notice it. You can really get used to someone looking really scary. And then, um, long story short, I went to college. I like convinced, I got out of the hospital. I lied my way out of it because anorexics are amazing liars. And I convinced I ate just enough to like make people think I was okay. And then I went to school and got to starve again. And, but when I was at school is when I first started having people tell me that I was funny and that I should be a stand up comedian. And I had no idea. I thought I was just going to die. I was like waiting every night to freaking die because I would fall asleep starving and I would wake up and have to be starving all day again. And it was like, there's just no end in sight. And so then I was like, oh, I guess I'll try stand-up comedy. I don't know what this is. And then I did it one time on a show on campus and that was it. I was like, oh, okay, this is what I can, I'm better at this than, I'm as good at starving as this. And this feels like something I can actually be great at. And I like have a natural knack for like i'm special at this and then i start i I was like then i got to figure out a way to survive and to beat this disease because i can't go on stage looking like how i look it's just too much so then i found a good therapist what was that yeah i just went to the campus i transferred transferred schools went to the campus like um you know counseling services found a guy thank god for this guy he um and, and you, you, something you said in a podcast I listened to earlier reminded me of the session that really like helped me more than anything was I had a therapist who had a severe stutter. He was this guy with like just the worst stutter. It was, I mean, it was almost funny to be, and be diagnosed by him. It would like, the whole session would be him just like stammering. But I really loved him because he was so vulnerable and it was so embarrassed, something so embarrassing. And he was like, and I can really he was the first person that could understand what I was going through. Cause he was like, I walk around with this thing and people, everyone's kind of like, Ugh, and judging me and just spit it out. Whereas with me, they were like, just swallow it, eat a cheeseburger. And I didn't know what to say. I couldn't be like, I'm trying. I, 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 I don't even understand anorexia anymore to this. I like, I still suffer with some of it, but the idea that you just can't eat when you're about to keel over and die is, does, I don't, recognize that anymore, even though I lived through it and I don't understand it. And it's so frustrating for loved ones to go through. But he said to me, you didn't choose this disease. 
the thoughts that you're having that say don't eat, start to think of those as not you. Act like you're possessed. Like yeah. the and it that was the first time like you had said that it occurred to me that my thoughts were not true. Or like they didn't come from this place of like because they're there, they're right. real. Like you can ignore your thoughts and you can actually make those thoughts as someone else like an infection that you have to like ignore. And as soon as I had that, I could stop I could start telling that bitch to shut up and be like I need to eat right now. And I've you know, I wish it was just that easy of a fix, but that was the first hurdle that I just opened a world of recovery up to me that I it wasn't there before. So you just really helped a lot of people. And one I just thank you number one. I want to say this because there's so much there, but one of them one of the main things guys is that a lot of times someone has a drinking issue or an addiction to not eating or an addiction to eating, they think they've licked it like it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. You're obsessive part of your mind. That person is still sitting there all the time. And so you've got to, it's never gone. It's your ability to keep it at bay or to keep it at a distance and to know it may return and that you've got to fight that fight again. I want to just say one thing that was me a little bit long, but I want to keep going on this. Just something to consider. So Nikki's, uh, and by the way, one other thing she's done is she's replaced an unhealthy obsession with a healthier obsession to some extent with her career, which can eventually become unhealthy, like she yes. said. Yes, which uh, it has. I, Phil Mickelson's on this week, and he's the professional golfer, one of the top 20 athletes of the last two decades. And he said on the show, he goes, I have to play golf because if I didn't have golf, my obsessions would gravitate to gambling or drinking or women or something unhealthy. Yeah. So you have that type of a personality, which I have too, which many of you have relatives or yourself are that way. You've got to have these healthy obsessions. You're going to obsess on something when you're this way mm-hmm. because our brains have gone into this obsessive pattern. Just something to consider for Nikki and for all of you listening to it is, as you know, I didn't make this up. Tony Robbins talks about it. I do. But there's six human needs. We don't have a whole time for the class on it today. But humans have six needs, not eight, not 23, six, and they're not watched. You need them. And at any given time in your life, one or two of these needs is the most dominant. And typically those needs come from some crap that happened when you were a kid, something. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so those needs are the need for certainty, the need and to an, be certain and for certainty. And an easy life. bake oven. Oh, wait, no, sorry. There I was thinking there. of a childhood need. <laughs> certainty, yes. Certainty. And then what was the other one? Uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Watch, stay with me. Certainty, uncertainty. Those are polar opposites. Like when you're looking at a relationship, what do you want? You want a dude that's spontaneous and surprises you. He feels the need of uncertainty. But you really want the dude who's loyal, honest, trustworthy, doesn't cheat on you. That's the certainty dude. So you want both of them. But in life, you also have the need for significance or recognition, the need for love and connection, the need for growth, and the need for contribution. So the six needs are certainty, uncertainty, significance, love and connection, growth, and contribution. At any given time, you're trying to fill those needs up. And so if you can just be conscious of that in your life, you're like, what am I trying to do right now? Is this to get more significance? Is this to get more recognition? Or am I doing this to get more love? Is that, what my, is that the need I'm trying to fill up right now? Or, or is it for certainty? Or like if I don't eat, I'm certain people will feel this way about me. If I don't eat, I get recognition. If I don't eat, People I get love. love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's the need that's coming up all the time? And when you begin to understand that in a relationship, why do I like this guy in the beginning so much? Because maybe he's filling up this need I have for spontaneity and uncertainty and it's new. And then, man, the minute I start getting too much significance and love and connection, I'm not interested in it anymore. Mm. So I'm not saying that's what it is, 
I'm saying it's a cool game to start to play where you're like, what the hell am I doing? This is, is this my addiction to recognition and significance? So I run this pattern. And when you at least have that, it starts to lose some of its power over you. And you begin to understand yourself just a little bit more. So one of the other things about you, just for what it's worth, everybody, that surprises me about you, because you are so successful. Everyone, she's being very human with you. And then just so you know, she's on the spinning earth, one of the most immensely gifted and talented people in the world at what she does. So she's being really real with you. But then there's this other side where there's this genius. We all have a genius. It can be our kindness, our physical beauty, our intellect, our humor. She's got a genius. And, and I'm talking like one of maybe four or five people. And in my mind, number one at what she does. But yet you care a lot about what people think about you still. I know. So like this whole Taylor Swift thing that happened. <laughs> Just tell them what it is. And then yeah. tell them, why are you that way? You're a millionaire. You're famous. You're amazing at what you do. Your peers love you. And let's just be honest, guys. One of her things is she's kind of like hot when she's a comedian too, right? Like there's an element of that. So it's not as if you've gone through life being an unattractive woman is what I'm getting at. But I feel as if I go. am. And there I deep go. down I am. And you can put a lot of makeup on me and get the right ring light and have the shimmer. and the. But it, I feel... It's an illusion. I mean, there are times when I do feel beautiful and I look in the mirror and I say that to myself and I truly believe it. And then I see a picture five minutes later and I'm pushed off my pedestal. I mean, it, I just, I really struggle. I've struggled from an early age of just feeling ugly and not feeling good, comparing myself just based on looks to other people and feeling like that was all that I was worth. And it's taken me you know, finding other paths to get the attention by being super funny. Okay. See, people don't look at me as much. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, and that's what like being funny did for me was people didn't look at how skinny I was and worry about me. Cause I was so funny. People like couldn't, didn't notice. I was like the class clown, like look over here, not at how I look like I just got out of Auschwitz yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so it was a defense mechanism. I, and then I even struggle with being known as like a pretty comedian because I did, when I started, I was young, like I was 19. And so I, and I was good out of the gate. Like I was decent and I had promise. And I think a lot of my, um, like now I think, Oh, I'm just successful because I was the young, pretty funny girl. And now I'm like, okay, now I'm aging. What if the prettiness goes away, even though I don't really believe it, but that's what people say, but it goes away. Now, am I going to be funny enough without, being pretty too, like what's aging going to be about? I don't worry about, I do worry about what people think about me. I mean, I just think that that's, uh, it's something I work on because, and I care less as I age. I really do. Yeah, the I mean, Taylor Swift thing wasn't about me caring what other people thought. It, it was about me caring about what I thought. See, what happened was I did, I, I love Taylor Swift maybe more than any anyone in my my age uh should she just makes me feel like a young girl again i really could have used her music when i was growing up like i tend to make comedy for myself when i was 15 i just feel like that was a time i could have really used some more guidance in my life and i my biggest dream is to have like girls like trading my videos like secretly their parents won't let them watch it but they like learn stuff about what it's going to be like when they get older through me because i yearn for any of that 
And Taylor Swift has been that for me. I just love her music. I relate to it so much. And I'm not even talking about her recent stuff, like her song about being 15 and losing her virginity. Like the, the, the fear of that song still resonates with me. And so I, um, I love her and I talk about her a lot. And so she had this documentary that came out um, this past January and it was kind of exploring, uh, it was kind of uh, dealing with why she went away for a year. She kind of had too much media attention. It got too bad, too much for her, overwhelmed, and she went away. Not all that different than what you're describing. Yes, I had really on a much smaller scale, like just being overwhelmed. I can't even believe she went away for a year when I heard that I was like, you could go away for a year. Like, what if they don't remember you? And it's like, that's like my biggest fear. So I'm already like in awe that she did that. But then in the film, I'm watching the trailer. It dropped like January 21st or something like that. I remember I was in bed watching the trailer because I was so excited to see the trailer for this Netflix documentary. And I hear my voice in the trailer and my voice is used in a scene to set up the fact that she like it's too much too many people having opinions about her and i said she's too skinny all of her model friends i don't like it it was just something like that i knew it was my voice right away i called all my friends and i was like listen to this trailer i'm in this i'm in this documentary i'm i'm sure of it and this is terrible like i'm gonna look like this is so ironic i'm her biggest fan and yet i'm trashing her and so my friends were like, that's not you. I was like, I know it's me. I know my voice. And um, I waited a week till the movie came out and then it came out. And sure enough, I'm in the documentary saying exactly that. And it's my face and everything. And I just felt like gross. Like it just it wasn't what I said wasn't funny. It was just critical. And it was so funny to me because I judged her for the things that I I would I, I wish I were too scared. Like I, I always love when people are like, are you OK? It's like validating to me that like. I'm doing things right. Like if someone calls me too skinny, I was just projecting. I was jealous that she was so skinny. Was jealous that she had model friends. It seems like, oh, she only has model friends. I'll never be friends with her. And it just like was like, ugh, it was a bad look. And I honestly love Taylor Swift. And I know that she would not, she didn't see that before the documentary. It was in the documentary. She only saw it once it was chosen for the film, but she saw it. She saw me mouthing off and it just felt gross. So I wrote her an apology on Instagram because I knew that was the quickest way to get her to see it. Yeah. And she did, and she forgave me. And you know, I she haven't heard from her since. She forgave you. She wrote back, yeah, and she was like, she wrote, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much." And she wrote like, because it was all about her. She she was anorexic, and I was. I mean, the the irony is, it's crazy that I was the bully for the anorexic girl, and. So uh, she even said, like, I'm so, because I even said, you know, I've, I've suffered with the same things that she has, and I can't believe I'd be one to judge her for it or comment on her body at all. Because it was like, ugh. And I just, I wanted to clean up my side of the street. I just wanted to feel, it didn't matter if she forgave me. I really didn't care. I just posted and, like, I, right after it, I was able to listen to her music again, which I wasn't able to listen to for a week because I was like, I'm such a bad Taylor Swift fan. She's done so much for me and I like slander her. Like I just was consumed by just guilt that I had made someone, it been so judgmental and, and it just made me look at my shit talking self and be like, you need to stop. You need to calm down to quote Taylor Swift. And so yeah, it, that's, that's why I did it. I was just like, was I don't like this side of myself. Listen, everybody, look, I want to say a couple of things on that too. That's a super cool story, by the way. But I got to tell you, people that I know that know you tell me, like, they obviously how talented you are. And then the next thing is, she's such a really good person. Mm-hmm. And I say that, I say that for this reason. 
and I'm talking about like multiple people, like it's the, they go, she's unbelievable. And man, she's a really good person. Why do I tell you all this? You're, most of the people listen to her try to make their dream come true. I hope you've got two things at least so far. And I hope you got like 50. Hmm. One, good people can win. Two, imperfect people win. A lot of you think, well, I've got this fear, or this insecurity, or this weakness about me, or this secret. I've got this secret that if everybody knew, you know, I did this in a relationship, or they knew what I do behind the scenes, if they really knew how bad or pathetic or screwed up I am, you think that discounts you from winning somewhere else. And it's not true. Most of us that won, we're pretty screwed up. Yeah. Most of us that have won. And so these, your mess does not disqualify you from making your dream come true. It doesn't. In fact, it's a qualifier for making your dream come true. And one thing you've also done, Nikki, one of Nikki's things is that she's known as being hilarious and also like an attractive female performer. And there are men that are known as that as well. Sebastian Mascalco, really yeah. good looking dude. Chris Delia, like good looking, funny dude. It's one of, and then there's other guys where like their niches, they're the big guy or the whatever guy, right? So mm-hmm. everyone has their niche, but you've also done well, let's just be real, in a relatively male dominated space, relatively, right? right? There, you know, I think of Whitney and there's several other women that are blowing up right now too. However, it's a male dominated space. And it's also, for the most part, to your point, most of the women that are doing well are younger as yeah. well. And so what about that? Like, is that, has it been more difficult as a woman or is it just to say, you're funny, you're funny? I, you know, I don't know because it's all I've known. And I, I, the second that I start to say it, 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 it has to have been a little bit more difficult, but I think that I've also benefited so much from being a woman and having less women doing it and feeling like, and having the ones that have come before me, um, this is what I'll say to that is that I, I've never felt like a female comic and I'm, I didn't until recently until the past, like maybe five years, have I really embraced that and been like, hell yeah, I'm a female comic. It's the best kind to be. We are killing it. We have to, we work so hard. We, uh, to even want to do it is like just not women aren't conditioned to be stand-up comedians as children. You're just it to find it and to be good at it and to have the confidence to do it. It's and the fearlessness to do it. It takes a lot. Um, so I feel super privileged that I like even was set up to actually pursue it, but I feel like I never was like, I'm a female stand-up. Like I just didn't feel different or less than, than the guys I knew. I knew from watching the female standups before me, that I could be the best at, at this because female standups to me were better than the, the men. And mm. I, I, I really, they've always been my favorite. And so I just never felt different, but I do feel, I mean, first of all, aging in this business, no matter, I mean, I, I did pick like one of the best fields, comedy, stand-up comedy again do because your age truly doesn't matter. If yeah. we're really, my yeah. looks should not matter, but it, it does. You get on TV more if you're an attractive looking person, it just happens that way. It sucks. Mm. Um, that's why I've really, I've started fostering this like broadcasting talent. I see my, I see age happening. I know what happens. TV opportunities drop away. I'm looking at it realistically and I'm like, well, I need to get good on radio and I want to get good on radio. I don't want to be on TV for the rest of my, like, I do like TV, but it's as a woman, it takes a lot more out of you hair and makeup and like worrying about staying thin enough or whatever you think is going to make it make you work like radio has given me just a freedom and podcasting that um 
I, I chose on purpose. Like I saw it coming. Like I was like, oh, I'm 32. If I'm good at, when I'm 42, I want to be really good at something that doesn't involve me having to be young. Really? Oh, you radio. You think about those things. I think about the few, I mean, I already thought about this pandemic. My whole act has to change now because the act I was doing late, I was going to tape a new special this year. And now uh, with my new theater tour that I took out, that's on hold. But I was talking about, oh, I feel like the end of the world's coming. Something weird's coming. I got to find a guy with a bunker. I was like, that was my whole joke line was like, I need to find a guy with a bunker. I used to say on stage, if you can show me that you have four fifths of a bunker planned, and I know that you do because you would not be out tonight unless you knew that bunker was good to go with just a little bit more time. You take surviving the end of the world seriously. If you could show me the blueprints for those tonight, I will blow you. Like I used to offer that. I was like, let's start our courtship now because I want to live. And I just, I just see, I've seen it. I want to, I'm prepared. I'm a prepper in the sense that like, I just want to find a guy who's a prepper like that. But I'm thinking about, I'm thinking towards the future. And what I will also say is that I, um, I am so lucky that I don't care about exposing the really awful sides of my psyche and my history. I mean, let me be honest. Some of these things take a couple years before I have like a distance enough from them to be like, you know, I wasn't talking about being bulimic a month out of being bulimic a few years down the road. I'm like, yeah, I was bulimic. I can admit to you that I used to throw up after meals. And that's something I never thought I could admit. Just like peeing the bed. I, I remember in fourth grade, third grade, peed the bed. And I remember thinking, if anyone finds out about this, I will have to kill myself. I remember thinking that as a third grader, like it, my life is over. So for me to be someone who stands on stage and talks about all of this stuff and used to just fear it more than anything, fear my secrets getting out, it's so freeing. And I'm like, I just feel so grateful that I don't care about being and my parents are sometimes embarrassed for the things that I share and my friends are sometimes like why would you say that or I remember Natasha Leggero on my I had a show about sex on Comedy Central called Not Safe and I remember one time I was talking about like anal sex and Natasha who is is a comedian one of my favorite comedians who I look up to so much and years ago I was like so excited to have her on my show she was just like an older sister type and I remember her just going like did you just say you have anal sex and I go oh yeah I go, I kind of like talk about that. And she goes, you do like her just being like, even a comic who I think is like so open was like easy. (laughs) I remember her being like, and I go, Oh, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to. So I, to your listeners, like I, I start sharing those things that you're like, you think you just do, because I'll tell you when you start sharing them, it is such a load off when you find other people who relate to you. And yes. that is what I found it to be very healing, sharing things on stage that I think that are just me because I've learned time after time again of sharing those things. It ain't just me. It ain't just and me. it's, and, and the awareness of the things, the, the awareness of the fact that, I mean, like, you, you know, I, I talk openly about like having eat, like it's still eating issues where I can like eat six protein bars in a sitting, you know, just like do something weird like that. And like waking up with wrappers in my bed and not the good kind, the kind that starts with a W and just, and it's so real because that's really something that was up until recently occurring on a nightly basis. And it was so embarrassing yet. I was talking about it openly. And by doing that, it made me like have to look at it a bit more and like, the joking about it made me go, okay, 
this is kind of, you've been, you talk about this a lot. This is obviously something on your mind. And so now I'm like, I'm actually taking steps to deal with it. So yeah. in being so open has, has actually helped me like get past a lot of things. Super cool combo of the anal thing. And then the rappers in your bed back to back. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of porn I watch too. <laughs> Here we go. Rappers with a, uh, a woman lost in a gym. Oh my God. So listen, anal aside, there's a lesson. Sure. Here. Anal aside. That's the next, that's going to be my memoirs. That's your new special. That's my, that's my, yeah. <laughs> but no, but aside, she's making an unbelievable point here. Cause it's why I, here's one thing. Y'all try to hide your flaws. And I do it a little bit too, but I'm pretty vulnerable about stuff I'm screwed up on all the time. Why do I do that? Well, one, it, one, it feels better for me to get it out. That way, when I do make other mistakes, people are like, ah, I said he was perfect. But the other yeah. part of it is, too, you guys, one, it connects you with people because they're screwed up, too. You're listening to this because there's a little piece of you screwed up. I'm doing this show with her because there's a little piece of me screwed up. I learn from people like Nikki, right? There's one other little thing when you're vulnerable with people and tell people, even on your social media, you're like, well, I'm a nurse. Why would I tell people about what I'm afraid of? Let me tell you why. People root for you. Yes. See, you want to build, you, people root for people they connect with. They root for people that don't think they're perfect. And so one of the things Nikki's established is like, when I told people you were coming on the show, seriously, they're like huge fans. Not like, yeah, she's funny. I like her stuff. They're like, I love her. There's oh. a big difference, you guys. Even the biggest compliment that happens for me is when people say, ah, I love his work or your show made a difference. I love that. But when someone says like, hey, I really relate to him or I connect with him, people keep telling me when I said you're on, they're like, I love her oh. That's because of these things that you're that you're describing. I'm just curious. You said the radio thing. Do you know what you want now? Like, we know you want to be in a relationship, mm -hmm. which I'll we'll last in a minute here. But like career wise, is it to be a, is it like you're good friends with Amy Schumer? Is it to do what Amy's done or is it to do what Amy's done now, which is have a family? Right. Um, I don't really have goals. Okay, <laughs> I know that's, that's okay. like, I don't know. I would love to ha hear your take on that. I, I rarely have like uh, goals in terms of, I mean, I have certain things like, Oh, I'd like to host SNL one day. I, um, I always wanted to be on Howard Stern, cross that off. I short-term goals. Like I do like, Oh, before the end of the year, I'd like to do this. But in terms of like lifetime goals, I would just, I want to be in love again at some point. Career-wise, though, I've done, like, everything I want to do. Like, it only can just get – I just want to do things that bring me happiness and bring me closer to people and help people. I think that is – I want to make people feel less alone. I kind of just want to be the artist that I kind of needed in, in when I've been as desperate uh, as, I, as I've been in the past. So I think my goal is how I can continue to do that in any way. Movies – yeah, I'll do them if they come to me. They're a lot of work. Yeah. Writing, and I, you know, I have a scripted show coming out eventually someday that I'm writing. It is hard. Mm -hmm. And I'm stand-up is just not that hard for me. It's like, I'd rather do that. And, and my agents and managers, they don't like to hear this because they would like to have me be on TV and, and in movies. But I just, I don't enjoy the process as much. And I've done it. You're sitting on set all day. It's cold. You're in your trailer alone. I like touring. I like doing podcasts. I like, I'm, I'm honestly looking into doing a reality show because I'm like, my talent is not acting. My talent is being real all yeah. the time. And 
the show could be just my life because I'm not hiding anything already. Why not just put it on camera and kill two birds? So that's kind of what my goal for this year is to actually get a reality show on a, a major network. So that's the goal. A lot of my entertainment clients or friends um, are like that. It's interesting. In that one field, you're only su- you're successful for a couple reasons. One, you were good at it a- a- immediately, which yeah. is rare, as you know. Thank Most God. Like I sucked. I didn't have any breakthrough. No one laughed. Oh, I was bad for a while, but the first time I did it, I showed a lot of promise and I, I just showed promise in the beginning. I mean, it was terrible for years just in terms right. of stage presence, yeah. but I, it was the first time I go, Oh wow. I'm better than most people at this in the beginning. And I had never felt that at any sport or any, you know, school subjects. Okay. Don't be, don't be humble on this. I want to know something. I want everybody to, everyone has a superpower. So if you're not a goal setter, usually like, cause I have a lot of friends that are successful. They don't set any goals. They're like, look, man, mm. I just work my ass off. Their superpowers, they just outwork everybody. Yeah. Right? What is yours? Don't be humble. Like, yeah. we get it. We, I get it. There, you have these, we, we all have them. You're more bold about yours. But what are you great at? Like, I'm great yeah. at, what am I great at? That's a great question. Unbelievable that you hesitate. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, well, I would say I work hard, but I don't feel like I do because all of the work I do is just showing up and going on stage. Like I don't sit at a, at a computer and write jokes all day. I don't listen to my sets and go over line by line. I just kind of like jot some notes in my phone. If I say something funny with my friend and then before I go on stage, like literally as I'm walking on stage, I'll be like looking at it like, okay. And then just like, what, like I just glance the work. It doesn't feel like work. Um, but I do do it every night. Like it's, it's a lot, it's a lot like meditation. Like I meditation doesn't take any real effort for me. Like it doesn't feel like work yet. I'm getting this ex- immense benefit from it. So I just do it every day and stand up. The It feels so good that it's not hard for me to show up, but I do, I work super hard. I really, I, I must, because I get told I do all the time, but here's my superpower is that it never feels like enough. And that I never have a sense of accomplishment. It's always, it's, it's terrible. I wish I could let things land. And I do, I've learned a little bit more. Like I can give it like one night or one day to really relax and be like, I can take the day off. But almost immediately, I either am filled with deep regret over what I did and could have done better and should have done better or, and thinking the next time you will not let that happen again. And so the next time I work twice as hard. I'm identical in my big speeches to big crowds. Like immediately, you were great. No, my God, I forgot to say this. I said that yes. Why did I do that? And I, I, my team will tell you like, they're like, bro, you're like in misery after these talks almost. Thank so you. when I'm doing it, when I'm doing it, everybody, I love when I'm doing it. I'm at yes. home, not work. The minute it's over, it's like, <gasps> That was terrible. I can't believe I did that. I would yes. give you a whole thought to take with you too. I interviewed Marshall Falk yesterday for my coaching group, famous NFL back, St. Louis. He's uh, played in St. Yeah. Louis as a team there. And, and Marshall's like, I never, he's a Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winner, you know, MVP, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I never felt great. I never thought I was amazing. I think all successful people are, there's a little unhappiness too. And when I started the show, Nikki, one of the things that I was interested in, because I call it Max Out, was like, I wonder what all these people have in common. Like someone who's the best wide receiver in the NFL, someone who's a presidential candidate, someone who's a worldwide famous comedian now, someone who's a CEO of a company, a millionaire, a person who rides a horse, someone who killed Osama bin Laden, all these different people, right? What do they have in common? 
And I was surprised. Uh, Stephanie McMahon who runs the WWE. Gemini's. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it your sign? Is it yeah. work ethic, goals? Right. No. You know what it is? A little bit of depression. <gasps> Isn't that yeah. interesting? And I wow. think one of the reasons for achievers is we have these standards of what we think we're capable of and we never measure up. And that incongruency is kind of healthy because it causes us to keep pushing, but it's unhealthy because we never really reach this place where we feel like we've made it. And here's the conclusion I've come to, and I've told a lot of people this, and this will be, this will completely throw you off, but what if like, there's nothing wrong with you? Hmm. Like what if the fact that we always think something is wrong with us or that we're missing something is the issue? And I, I coach entrepreneurs all the time. What if like you're, what if you're like perfect for this moment right now? Yeah. What if it is that you're going to get, you're going to grow into the next moment because you always do. But in this given moment in the universe, you're perfect for it. And you yes. show up perfectly. And everything you need is within you right now. And what if you're not screwed up? What if it's normal to be a human and have weaknesses and insecurities? That doesn't mean we don't want to grow and improve to be ready for the next moment. But in this moment, I don't mean to be cheesy, but you talk about meditation. What if you're perfect right now? Yeah. What if you're not screwed up? What if you don't have issues? Like, what if you're right now the way you're supposed to be? And in the next moment, you'll grow into that moment. Rob Deerdick was on my show, and he's one of the people that's been on the show that we became real good friends, and we're business partners now. And Rob was talking about he was sort of a single dude out there being a single dude, kind of known in Hollywood as that too. And he goes, I just didn't want to be that dude anymore. And then in every relationship, I'd screw him up, kind of like, you know, I just get bored or that was enough. And he goes, I finally decided that. Are you um, setting me up right now? Oh, wait, no, he found yeah, someone. He, okay. God, I thought um, I'd be a part of his fantasy factory. All right. Have his friends over to ride me. Sorry. That was not good. I'll leave I'll the comedy to you. But he said, he goes, he goes, hey, man, I just sort of accepted like I'm okay right now. And he goes, as I grew into the man that I was capable of becoming the woman arrived that I was worthy of. And I thought, Hey man, that's gold right there. So it wasn't even supposed to be a relationship podcast. I don't think you're screwed up. I think you're human. I think you're perfect as you are right now. And if you continue to live everybody constantly, like I just asked this mega successful woman <laughs> who very in her readily, dad's home office in St. Louis, Missouri, and has been living like, here for like, two let's months. Just be real. Has yeah. readily read off in this podcast. I have an eating disorder. I'm not good in relationships. Uh, yeah. You know, I said stuff that Taylor, she can give you a hundred things she's not good at. Oh, and sorry. then I said, what are you great at? This is one of the most successful people on earth. What are you great at? Uh, <laughs> what am I great at? And by yeah. the way, that's most humans. Yeah. And the list has to be long of what you are great at. And, and by the way, if you're, you, you will show up in five years, Nikki, if you keep this pattern, You'll say, you know what? Everything's good except this thing about me right now. Yes. And if that thing's always going to keep you, that's the thing. This false belief. That there's some not, better version of myself that I'm waiting for. Yes. And by the way, she's going to show up anyway. Yes. Always prepared for the next moment. So I'm not talking about like self-love, love yourself as you are, but because sometimes that means like you don't need to change. You don't need to grow. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can't love yourself if you're not being yourself. And so- just be yourself. You're awesome the way you are. Yes. If you could actually give yourself that gift, not just Nikki, but everybody, 
your growth will accelerate. It won't be so freaking painful to grow all the time where you're moving out of misery to get there. Life doesn't have to be that way. And yeah. so I don't think you're screwed up. And I think there's a million things about you. And I'm glad we just did this in front of millions of people. But <laughs> I want to say that to you. Stop that. Please stop that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what, I mean, I hear this so often that I'm so hard on myself and I don't see it. Like I don't, it doesn't really register to me. I only believe it because I get told it so much mm -hmm. that I'm hard on myself and I hear what you're saying. And I, 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 I but the, the thing that I, I am getting better at it because I'm working feverishly to, mm -hmm. to love myself. Oh my gosh. I want to so bad and I see it and I know how I, I have before, before, and I see the benefits of gratitude and, but it's something you said it, 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 or something I heard kind of is exactly with like what you said. And I always go back to it is that I'm always waiting for my life to like take off. Like I'm always waiting for like, I feel like I'm on the tarmac and I'm like, once I do this, then my life, then I'll be in there. And it's like, no, this is your life. Like this is this, like, there's no ramp up. This is the show, bitch. Yeah. And so like, and just knowing because i had de like ed i could have used you a week ago i was a week ago tuesday uh, i had taped conan on a monday and i always kill it on conan it's just like something i care about so much he's the reason i got into stand-up and comedy in general i love him more than any performer ever um and so when i go on his show i take it very seriously and i prepare and i plan and, and it always goes off without a hitch and i usually am like great afterwards i'm like did everything I wanted to do, let it go. There's something about doing it over Zoom, the, the the comedy, I didn't get the crowds, the roar of the crowd, and I felt like I bombed. And I just couldn't, I just, you know, left the meeting, you know, after we finished, and I just was like crying all day. My parents were like disturbed by how upset I was. And they're like, we heard you. It sounds like you, that you know, they had their ear up against the door listening to me with Conan in here. And they were like, you did great. And I'm like, no, I missed this. I forgot this. I didn't even set that up. Just could not. I mean, it was like um, just unwanted thoughts coming in of like, I and I would be, I was on a run and I remember just going, God, because I would like scream into, and a guy mowing his lawn would be like, why is that girl just like screaming? Because I would remember something else I forgot. I was plagued by it. And then I don't know what happened, but I did just have what you said, which was like, that is, I did the best I could. Like yes. that was meant, I was meant to show up that way. If I know I could have maybe worked a little bit harder, but you didn't. And that was meant, and now you have, can grow from that the next time. But the beating myself up afterwards was brutal. And I, it almost makes me think like, I can't handle doing this job anymore because if I always am just so mad at myself after every accomplishment I have, what is, what's, what is this worth? And you don't need to be, I'm, I'm 50 next year and I, I'm you. And let me tell you something, sister. I know so many people like us and you don't want to get where I am. Cause what you just said made actually made me kind of emotional because this is your life and you will get to a place like where I am, where I have had all kinds of like accomplishments, so to speak. Right. And I go, man, I should have been kinder to myself all those years. I should have been kinder. I should have enjoyed it more. Enjoyed it. And the reason we run these patterns in our life, everybody, is it gets us something. Well, you don't do anything because it doesn't provide something to you. You think it only provides you pain, but there's this other sick part of us that goes, I've always been this way, and look, I'm kind of producing some results. So if I let go of that beat myself up thing, if I let go of this anxiety thing, if I let go of that whole like I suck thing, 
then I won't have my drive or my hunger anymore. So I, you hold on to that pattern. Yes. And the truth is that I give this analogy of my wife, who's, who I met when we were really little, like five years old. And so I've known her a long time and she's crazy and weird and, and, and all that stuff. And it's what mm -hmm. makes it interesting, right? But what she has this very weird thing she started to do like a year ago, which is when she eats pleasurable food, she like moans like orgasmically. Like right. it's disgusting. It's very weird. But like she'll be, mm -mm, and she's hot. So when she does it around the kids, I'm like, you're creeping the kids out, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, she goes, am I doing it again? I'm like, yeah. So we're out for my birthday. We're at a restaurant. We walk in. These two dudes are already checking her out. And I'm, you know, she's checkoutable. Yeah. And I'm already like, I'll give them one look. If they look at her twice, I'm going to tell there's going to be an issue here, right? So <laughs> we end up sitting next to them. And I'm like, great, these poor guys. And sure enough, her food comes and she's, oh my God. His heads are going to blow off, right? And I'm like, babe, it's at least on my birthday. Like, stop. She's like, am I doing it? I'm sorry. And I'm like, I go, what are you doing? Like, and she says, it just tastes so good. And she goes, the more I enjoy it, the more I want another bite. Mm. And I went, oh, wow, that was good. And I, I'm always thinking about my material, right? Like you sure. are. And I went, that's really true. The truth in life is, is that just because you enjoy something, you're not going to lose your hunger. In fact, your brain gets <sighs> a dopamine hit. Your brain gets a dopamine hit and goes, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And, but if you keep cheating yourself from the dopamine hit, from the happiness after you walk off stage, you will end up where you're almost at now where you're like, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this anymore. Yes. I need to start yes. growling and moaning Boom. when I, when the crowd is cheering and enjoy it. That's really, I love, I, first of all, I love to see how you develop material for, in, in a very similar way to standups of like, that was interesting what you just said. It was kind of quippy and it yeah. really makes a lot of sense. Like the, that was a beautiful moment to take over. I instantly got where you were. That's it's, it's so true because I, I need to start enjoying it. I really do. And, and, and I think this quarantine has actually forced me yep. to, to, reset. To, to reset. I'm so grateful for it because I do, I want to enjoy all of these things. Cause you're right. If I keep robbing myself of just the sense of accomplishment that once made me want to even do this in the first place. I mean, the first time I went on stage, I was like the laughter and the clapping, it just made me feel this high. And I don't even let that in anymore. I, I can't, I, no wonder I wanted my life, wanted something to take it away. No, mon, no wonder I conjured a global pandemic. You did. You probably created it. <laughs> so listen. I, I do I, love I, that. I, I, I want to say something to you that, guys, that Nikki's just rare that she's telling you the truth. But just so you know, about everybody that I talk to that's producing big time results struggles with these same things. And so do many of you. And it's normal and it's okay. And by the way, you don't need to judge yourself about it. It doesn't make you weak or weird or strange or less than. And if you'll just stop doing that and just accept that you're great in this moment and you'll get better in the next one, they'll give you some peace. It will give you some peace. I Something my therapist said that is exactly what you're saying is when I catch myself with that, that the first thought, my first instinct is to just shit on myself and to bully myself. Instead of going, instead of changing the thought, if I look in the mirror and I go, ugh, instead of going, no, you're beautiful and like lying to myself, because clearly that's yeah. not where I'm going to really, I can't really get there and believe yeah. that. You just go, huh, 
I just said that I, I just looked in the mirror and said, ugh, that's interesting. And you just start clocking when you do it. And then you can start to notice it. Don't judge it because that's already, it's going to make you beat yourself up more. I've just been noticing more the, the self-talk, the negative self-talk and just being like, huh. And, and there's something else about just someone recently said to me, some therapist I talked to was that your first thought is out of your first instinctual thought is always negative is fight fight or flight is always like anxious and negative. And maybe that thought isn't real, isn't truthful. Maybe you always just skip the first thought because I tend, the first thought thought tends to be extremely mean. I'm like, no, what you're doing is really powerful. Everybody just observing your own thought. It loses some of its power over you. And then the other thing too, is just so y'all know, you'll notice you have more of them earlier in the day. And so a lot of times it's hard to get out of bed in the morning for some people. And again, that's also normal. It's the time wow. of day for most people that they suffer the greatest amount of depression is upon awakening. It's in that mode of fight or flight, exactly what you just said. So I got to tell you something like, I just interviewed one of the funniest human beings on earth and we had one of the most serious damn conversations. <laughs> I know. I, when you were setting me up to be funny, I was like, I don't know that I'm going to be, <laughs> well, I'm in, I'm in a, a different mode, but I can, I can switch between both. I think it, I think it like, um, I think if you're, if you ask me what I was really good at, it's not, it's being able to like be funny, obviously, and write jokes. I'm like, I, I, I just have a knack for that, but I really, I'm not scared to get away from jokes either and to um, try to talk about real stuff. I'm, I'm going to give you an assumption about you, and I know that we'll become one of these right now. Here's an assumption I have about you. I bet you're an amazing friend. Yeah. I bet that. I bet that you're unusually good friend because people that are really hard on themselves um, are usually unusually kind to other people. And so yeah. many of you that are a lot like Nikki or a lot like myself, give yourself some credit. I bet you're unbelievably kind to everybody else. And if you could extend yourself the gift of like 20% of the kind of people, you'll be a lot happier. And so, nicer to people I don't like. It's just, it's bizarre, you know, like I, I, it's I, not a bad thing. It's, and not, it's not out thing. of fakeness. I just have like, you know, I just, that out of, it, but it is true. It's so bizarre. It's such a fatal such a human flaw that you can't be as nice to yourself or to your family as you are to strangers. It's true, but, and by the way, we do it in our own families too. Uh, it's, not, it's not fatal though, just so everybody knows. Right, right, by right. The way, as much as I just said that, we're going to do one more question, but if you get a chance, and I just said she's so nice to other people, if you get a chance to watch this woman in some of these roasts, like the Alec Oh, Paul, I know. That's so funny. That's so oh funny that you said God. I was nice and a good friend. It's un... Now, by the way, this is adult comedy, everybody. I'm just going to tell you, okay? But yeah. like, God, like very adult. Your 10-year-old should not go... I think it's okay to say, Nick. I think you'd agree with me. We don't want the 10-year-old to go watch your stand-up special right now? Do we not? Um, No, not banging, but I think the 10-year-old could watch a roast and, like, sneak it and, like, you know, not understand most of the things. But, yeah, yeah my stand-up special, you, if girls are curious about sex and want to know what it's like to be an adult woman, I think that's okay for them to watch early, early like, 13, 14, once they're, like, starting to – I just arm women with a, an, an education in what – what's because it's all it's all built under the guise of like i had no idea about sex i was so scared of it and here's what i found that it is it's, and it's cry fall on the floor some of it funny Thank and by you. the way and i'm a dude and i'm gonna tell you it's hilarious but i've never watched my wife laugh like that in my oh head. that's what i hear a lot of that's so Literally nice never i mean never all right last thing we've talked about all these things that you need to improve and grow on you finally admitted like one little thing that you're good at i have loved today me too. And, and, and like, just so you know, when it comes out, which will be very soon, 
you've helped a lot of people. Just oh, I hope you feel good thank about you. that. Thank you. You've helped a lot of people. I want everybody to go follow Nikki first before I ask her the last question. I hate when people stick it at the end and no one's there. So where do you want them to go follow you? What's the best place to find you? Yeah, you can find me at Nikki Glazer on Instagram and Twitter, but Instagram, I'm um, mainly, that's like where I'm most active. And then NikkiGlazer.com, I'm on tour, you know, the, everything's rescheduled, but there are tour dates up that I hope are happening. And I have a podcast that I do daily um, that's just uh, for a temporary time, but subscribe to that and I will, I'm going to have more news coming soon. But if you enjoyed me on this, you'll definitely enjoy my podcast. It's every day and it's like just 20 minute, um, solo episodes where sometimes I call friends, but I just talk about all of this stuff and kind of like, it's like a diary entry. So it's, it's called you so up. It's so good. You guys, and the flow of it is awesome. And I'm addicted to it. Like, thank I, you. I know so much about you. So I know when good. people. That's why I say when people listen, I'm like, I don't tell me you listen if we ever meet because I can't even. Like you saying that you listen, I'm like, oh no, what do you know? That is, and I say, it has to be really I say stuff like, on that thing. Know, like you don't meet strangers a lot. Like if they followed your stuff, you are not a stranger to them. Like. I feel like I know a lot of shit about you. You do. You know more about me than my family or some of my friends. I mean, I really get intimate on those podcasts. I just love podcasting. I feel like such an intimate connection to my listeners. And I just, I just feel such an intimate connection to the podcast I listen to. So I understand like what it means and what I want to offer people who listen. Cause I, cause I enjoy it so much when people are just authentic and like, you're like, what? This is wild what they're telling me. It's just, uh, so that's what I try to, to, to give them. Super gifted, you guys. And gifted Thank sometimes you. when she didn't work at it. She's gifted and talented. Oh. All right. You are successful. Thank you. And if you had a chance to sit down, someone ran into you at a Starbucks and said, Nikki, can I have like five minutes? I have a dream. I want to build a business or I want to, you know, begin in the entertainment industry or whatever. I want to go get my master's degree. And I don't know where to begin to make my dream come true. You've made many mm -hmm. of your dreams come true, right? Many of them. Yeah. So what would your advice be to somebody who had a dream in their life, whether they're 22 years old, 12 years old, or 52 years old? What would you say to them? Quit drinking. Um, that I, Honestly, if you are someone who needs to, it gets hung over a lot and you've like get that out of your life, get anything that's like disabling you unnecessarily out of your life. Cause I do think my career t t went to the next level when I, when I quit having hangovers. Um, but in general, I, uh, it comes back to what we were talking about before. I always tell this to new comics. They always want to know, and this isn't just for comics, but this is truly, um, the ticket. I think it's like work hard, obviously, but be cool to be around, be, be, have, be cool enough that people that are more successful than you want you around. When the, new, when the comic comes to town, as the comic who comes to town, offer to find me good vegan restaurants. Offer, don't be annoying, but just be like, offer to drive me around if I need a ride. Just be, be nice and cool and not annoying yet. And, and people will bring you around. People want to help you. I, I'm, artists are lonely. We're lonely. And so when we find someone who's cool, who respects us and wants what we have, but isn't like too grabby and is just a chill person to be around, God, we want that person in our corner. And then we bring you to, that's how I got ahead. That people thought I was cool to hang out with and brought me on the road. I wouldn't have gotten those opportunities if I was not fun to be around, no matter how funny I was. Mm. I was a good hang. So work on that. And also squeaky wheel. My dad always taught me just be remind people you're around. Don't convince yourself that someone's going to ask you to do something or someone's going to think of you for a job. I 
give jobs all the time. And I don't think of people even, you know, it'll happen months later. I'll be like, oh, he would have been great for that job, but I haven't heard from him for months. But the guys who are constantly like, if you have any work, I love to do like it, it's, and it's not annoying. It, as long as you're not always being like, do you didn't write back to me? And like, I just squeaky wheel, but a not an obnoxious squeak, like a pleasant squeak is, mm-hmm. is very important. Those are the two things. I love that. Well, and be well, you just described, I didn't get you any vegan food or anything like that, but that's exactly how I got Nikki here today. Yeah. <laughs> I DM didn't hear back and I went to somebody else. I went to Heather Monaghan and I said, look, I need to meet her. Do it now. And I'll trade. <laughs> I'll get you someone. So you get me her. That's awesome. So no, even now, at my life, I'm a squeaky wheel. So yeah, you, you are, but that's, I wouldn't, I get too many requests to do podcasts and I just, at some, if they come in on a day where I'm like not in the mood or I'm overbooked, I just like, can't even look at it. I won't even write back. I'll just like, I can't deal with it. But then someone writes to me and is like, I vouch for this guy go. And I was like, oh yeah, of, of course. I didn't even give it a shot, but yeah, you gotta be squeaky. I'm sque- I'm squeaky all the time. I, I really do. Um, I, I practice what I preach even to this day with, with the success I've had. I'm still hitting up people. Me too. For advice. I mean, got to get on a call with Whitney Cummings right now because I'm like making a decision and I have the ability to make this decision on my own, but she's someone who has had more experience in this field and we're not really that great. We're friendly, but I just texted her today. Like, do you have 10 minutes to give me some career advice? And she's like, yeah, lady. And so that's what I'm going to do. And it's kind of uncomfortable, but fuck it. You know, don't like she's, she has an answer that I wouldn't have. What was that? I want it on the show. So oh you guys, gosh, listen, I don't care who you are. I, my, I, we have a list of people that want to be on this show, but I wanted Nikki and I got squeaky to get here. So that was great advice. Thank Nikki. you. I loved today. Like I, I did loved too. Today. today was a long day and it was on my calendar. I was looking forward to it. And like, I just really enjoyed the day and you helped so many people. So I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you. No, it helped me so much. I don't think I need to go to, I can, I can, uh, yeah, I don't need to go to therapy this week. I feel like I could skip I'm a sesh. I'm here for you. I mean that. We're <laughs> friends and I'm here for Yeah, you. I know. We're friends now. It's so cool. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey guys, remember this. I run the max out two minute drill every single day on Instagram. So when I make a post, you got two minutes, you make a comment, you can win. If you don't make a comment in the first two minutes, reply to other people's comments. Or make a comment every single day on all my posts. And when you do that, you can win a ride on my jet, tickets to see me speak, get coached by me, max out gear, all kinds of cool stuff. So engage with me on social media and go follow Nikki as well. Okay? God bless you guys. Max out. This is The Ed Show.